Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us. Pull up the stool. It's Wednesday. It's the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and you decide for the Three Martinis today. We're brought to you by Plexiderm. Try Plexiderm.com. You can get 50% off plus an additional $10 off when you use our promo code Martini. So a great deal for you on Plexiderm. We'll tell you more about the product a little bit later. Uh, Jim, so we've got three important martinis today, but uh, we did find out this morning that once again, you and I are not the Time Magazine People of the Year. Uh, we did win it a few years back when everyone won. Uh, I think it was online shoppers or something like that, something very it was general. You, Greg. <laughs> it was you, Y-O-U. The gist was the rise of online you're right, online shoppers, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. But you! Yeah, so it's a big win, but you know we had to share it with a lot of folks. It's true, it's true. So they went with the uh, teenage climate activist Greta Thunberg, and uh, you know, you and I didn't expect to win this year. It was a lot of tough competition, but the fact that we weren't uh, listed among the final nominees was a little bit hurtful. And so I guess, given who did win, our only uh, commentary towards uh, the folks at Time can be: How dare you! That's my favorite drop-in of the year. I don't know if that will end up being in the year-end awards, but. Uh, I wonder if she'll get a chance to give a speech, and she'll give it a bit kind of like, uh, was it Megan Rapinoe? <laughs> Megan Rapinoe, yeah, who blasted Rapinoe, Sports who Illustrated. Who trashed uh, Sports <laughs> Illustrated for not having enough diversity in their selections in the past. So. That would be never fun. woke enough, anyone. Never woke enough. <laughs> That's right. The more you grovel, the more they'll demand. Oh, man. All right. Uh, let's talk about our good martini today. And, Jim, we talked yesterday about how impeachment seemed to be backfiring for Democrats in terms of how President Trump is currently faring against the top tier of Democratic presidential candidates in the key battleground states of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. But uh, even outside of presidential politics, there's uh, a growing Democratic unease, growing Democratic divide about uh, what they think of impeachment right now. We already know of the two Democrats who voted to not even open the inquiry. And from what we can tell, they're not interested in uh, voting for impeachment when this comes to the floor, probably next week. Uh, You've got a couple others who are on the fence about not supporting impeachment. And now Politico reporting that you've got about 10 Democratic lawmakers in the House who would much rather see a censure resolution than impeachment. Not only would it make them more comfortable, they think they could actually get a little bit of bipartisan support for that. I don't know if that's wishful thinking, but clearly they think impeachment might be a bridge too far. On the other hand, according to the Washington Times, uh, the cast of usual characters think that the two articles of impeachment don't go far enough. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says she'll settle for the two articles of impeachment, but, quote, of course I'm in the camp where I feel that there should have been more articles. I think obstruction of justice absolutely should have been an article. I'm also supportive of emoluments being included in the articles. I understand that the caucus is where it's at, and it took so long for us to get to this point that I'm glad we have, too. Al Green, who we talked about last week, uh, talking about possibly more articles if this uh, doesn't end up in Trump being convicted. Uh, You've got Credo Action. I've never heard of this group, but they're apparently far left. They say, quote, by not including Trump's bigotry, corruption and self-enrichment, Democrats are telling the communities that Trump has terrorized, that they are on their own. And Rashida Tlaib says it shouldn't just be abuse of power. It should be racist abuse of power. So, Jim, Nancy Pelosi can't keep anybody happy. No. And uh, it was interesting. There was an argument that came out a couple of weeks ago looking at the Democratic presidential primary contenders. 
And they pointed out that, you know, the Pete Buttigieg of the world uh, don't have a lot in common with the Bernie Sanders of the world. Joe Biden and Tulsi Gabbard, you know, the Democrats are a big tent party. The problem is that you end up with such a big tent that you don't really have that much of a consensus on a whole bunch of issues. The consensus in the Democratic Party and the Democratic uh, caucus in the House, well, we all strongly, vehemently oppose President Trump. All of them except two voted to start the inquiry. What do you do now that you've had these hearings? First of all, if they have, if they really have 10 people vote no on the articles of impeachment, this is going to be a giant embarrassment for the party because it will mean that the hearings actually lost ground. Yes, I realize that not every uh, member who voted yes for the beginning inquiry is going to uh, was necessarily saying yes, and I believe we should impeach the president immediately. Theoretically, there's a space to say, oh, I wanted to start the inquiry, but I, I just didn't see the evidence I needed to see. By the way, if you're a if you're a purple district Democrat with that stance, that's not going to help you. <laughs> that's just going to irk people on both sides. If you voted to start the inquiry, you've already taken the hit for that. So you might as well stick with the, uh, because otherwise you're going to irk everyone who supports impeachment. But I don't think too many, you know, it's not like Trump voters are going to suddenly say, oh, okay, I'm going to vote for this House member because they voted against impeachment because the NRCC is going to keep running ads saying, oh, by the way, they voted against, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, the old saying, you got to dance with the ones that brung you. You know, I don't think this is, uh, there's an enormous room for a lot of Democrats to, to flip on this and say, oh, this is going too far. The interesting thing about the lineup, you know, that a censure resolution would be a better idea. I'd be surprised if every House Republican voted against censuring the press on this. I think there are enough, there, there are probably enough Republicans who know Trump wouldn't like it, but who would acknowledge what he did here was not good and probably needs it. And the idea of this being a symbolic slap on the wrist probably would be uh, amenable to a decent number of House Republicans. I, I'm, you know, haven't done a head count. But my suspicion is more than a few we say, okay, this is our way of resolving it. Let's put it behind us. Dis, dis, Mr. President. Don't do this again. It'll be interesting because that then makes you, you know, you're now in that situation where I said, I think they have 230, the neighborhood of 230, you need 218. You can't lose 12 or change. 10 who are nervous about it. I mean, could you actually lose 10? Could you actually see one of the two articles go down? Probably not. And my suspicion is that the reason they only went with two is that if you did one on emoluments, which they really didn't hold hearings on very much, if you did one on the, the Mueller stuff, and if you brought five or six, then there probably would be a decent number of House of Democrats who'd feel comfortable saying, well, I'm going to vote for this one, but I'm not going to vote for that one. Um, one of the four they brought against uh, uh, Bill Clinton back in 1998 didn't get two, 200 votes. So there are people who will say, try to split the difference and say, OK, I find I see evidence for this charge, but not for that charge. Democrats don't want that. I think if they, there probably was an argument to only do one count of impeachment. And by golly, that way you could, every, you know, Democrat on board except those two. I think it's safe to say this entire process has not worked out the way the Democrats wanted. I think there's this vibe that Pelosi wants to get this off her plate as quickly as possible. That's why she's saying we're going to do it by Christmas. She wants us in the rearview mirror. She wants to be talking about uh, USMCA and all these other stuff. Uh, other real issues so they can say to the American people, hey, look, we're not just obsessed with impeachment. We've got real achievements. And uh, I think that indicates if you need to say that, I think it says something about the political popularity and the public's view on impeachment. Jim, if one of these Democrats starts talking about Scottish law, I can guess that ah. we're probably not headed towards a conviction here. Arnold Inspector. <laughs> You mentioned Tulsi Gabbard there. This is completely off the topic, but uh, she has now said even if she qualifies for next week's debate that she's not going to go. So since she's probably not going to qualify, I'm not quite sure how serious of a threat this is. I will not attend that party that I have not been invited to. (laughs) 
All right. Well, let's talk about uh, Plexiderm. As uh, the Democrats try to clear up what their approach to impeachment is, let's talk about clearing up those wrinkles and crow's feet and even the under-eye bags. The holiday season is upon us. We're going to be around family and friends, hopefully, and uh, taking some nice pictures and just seeing each other, people we haven't seen in a long time in some cases. And so you just want to look your best. Nothing vain about it. You just want to look your best. And so when you tend to age, you get those bags, the wrinkles and the crow's feet. And uh, you don't want that to be folks' lasting memory of you when they see you this holiday season. So just now imagine, if you have those things, that they're gone. We're not talking about some risky, expensive surgery. We're talking about these things being gone in minutes through Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates those wrinkles, crow's feet, under-eye bags in just minutes. It's exactly what you need to get through the holiday season and far beyond. Would you like to look 10 years younger? Now you won't have to imagine it anymore. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you need to face that judgmental family member. We all have one, Uncle Benny and Edna. They're always looking down their nose at you. Well, now finally you can say, hey, look at my face. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them. And everyone knows you're not going to tell Uncle Benny or, or Aunt Edna. So get Plexiderm's holiday promotion. Go to TryPlexiderm, T-R-Y-P-L-X-A-D-E-R-M dot com and use our code Martini for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off and an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and again mentioning the code Martini. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code Martini for huge savings at checkout. TryPlexiderm.com. All right, Jim, unless there is a major revolt among some House Democrats, there will be articles of impeachment approved in the House within the next couple of weeks here. And then that means there will be a Senate trial early next year. And one of the things that uh, we are seeing develop here long before this is actually going to happen is a strong disagreement and strategy about how the Republicans, meaning the president and Republican senators, want this to unfold. And this impasse is getting deeper and uh, it's also going public now. So CNN, President Donald Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, both looking ahead to the Senate impeachment trial, but a growing divide between the two over what the trial should look like. Mitch McConnell has made it clear that he hopes to end the trial as soon as he can, an effort to both get impeachment off his lap and protect his conference from potentially damaging votes should the process break out into partisan warfare. That will include a continuous whip count until McConnell feels he has the votes to acquit the president and end the show. He has even floated a 10-day minimum during these talks. But the show is exactly what Trump wants. He's made clear to advisors privately that rather than end the trial as quickly as possible, he's hoping for a dramatic event, according to two people familiar with his thinking. He wants Hunter Biden, Adam Schiff, and the whistleblower to testify. He wants the witnesses to be live, not clips of them during tape depositions. And he's hoping to turn it into a spectacle. I think that's a little bit of CNN's uh, analysis there, which he thinks is his best chance to hurt Democrats in the election. But McConnell thinks uh, the more it looks like a circus, the worse it'll be for Republicans. So, Jim, what do you make of the divide and what do you think is going to happen? Look, you, you and I love Cocaine Mitch um, and have great respect for him. I'm observed. I thought one of the few upsides of this entire Senate trial process was making, I mean, we don't have Kamala Harris anymore, but making Cory Booker, Michael Bennett, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, and Amy Klobuchar sit in the Senate all day long, unable to speak, 
listening to testimony for weeks and weeks upon end. I thought that was like the popcorn, just watching them burst and watching them be completely unable to, can't, you know, unless they leave at the end of the day, catch a jet, fly over and do a night event, and then come back, you know, for, for the next morning. There was just no way you're going to be able to have these five Democratic senators on the campaign trail. Let's face it, by the way, nobody remembers Michael Bennett is running. <laughs> he's, a, he's a senator from Colorado. Five percent of you are thinking back to those early debates and saying, oh, yeah, that guy. No, you're thinking of Tim Ryan. He was the other, other guy. Booker might be out by then. Klobuchar, I assume she put all of her chips in Iowa. So you assume she's not getting out before then. So at least for at least three or four of these senators, they really want to be out campaigning. And if you, if you end this as quickly as possible, then they get to go back and campaign. And, all stuff. and oh, by the way, like, you know, if you, I thought the other upside was to be able to bring in Joe Biden. Make Hunter Biden answer questions. Make them basically admit under oath what we all can see. That this was a make-work job. That this was a way of Burisma buying a friend in Washington. I find myself in sympathy to the president. If you're going to have to go through an impeachment you know, trial, let's enjoy it. Right? Let's make as many of the people on the other side squirm as possible. You know? um, but then again, there's a certain argument that, uh, that, that from, the, from the McConnell point of view, which is like, look, if we believe this is a waste of time, if we believe that none of the actions of the president ever really came to the level where like, OK, it's time to, for the first time in our history to remove a president then maybe we should get this off our plate as quickly as possible. I, I think obviously this will come from the perspective of what the uh, senators want. Um, if McConnell is saying this, my guess is he's probably done this after talking to his caucus and that probably there are a bunch of Republican senators who are like, look, as much as we'd love to see uh, all of those unexpected side effects and kind of watch the Democrats get hoist on their own tard and all that stuff. We know where this is going to end. We don't think the president should be removed. You know, and also the idea that you know Trump himself would probably be tweeting increasingly raging and bonkers statements as the you know Democrats in the House made their presentation. If you feel like this is a giant loser for everybody politically, put it behind you. Focus on legislating, and everybody turn their energies towards the 2020 election. So I, I can understand the logic of that. I do also think though that the president has a point, and also like again, if the president's you know fate is at stake here, well he should have an opportunity to present his side of the story. And if he wants to take as much time as possible, as long as it's relevant enough to the, uh, the proceedings, why shouldn't the president get a chance to do that? All right, Jim, on to our final martini. We don't know if it's crazy. We'll let you decide. Joe Biden is currently the national frontrunner for the Democratic nomination. He's also ahead, uh, certainly in South Carolina, and I believe he's doing pretty well in Nevada. And I also saw a poll, I think it was from Emerson, where he's back on top in Iowa uh, as Elizabeth Warren fades there and, and Buttigieg comes down to earth a little bit too. But uh, I think it'd still be a little bit of a long shot for him to end up winning there. Uh, but now Joe Biden is in the headlines for a reason we haven't heard for a very long time in this country, probably not in our lifetimes, and that's that someone is running for president and planning to only serve one term. According to a story by Ryan Lizza in Politico, uh, Biden and his advisors have toyed with the idea of even stating that he would only serve one term. Biden now apparently shying away from that uh, just to give himself some flexibility. But uh, the idea is that he'd be roughly 82 at the time of the 2024 election. And uh, going for another four years at that point doesn't seem like a very good idea to him or even his inner circle. And so he'd be more of a transitional figure and whoever his running mate would be would be the presumptive nominee in in 2024, assuming that they don't uh, somehow disqualify themselves in the intervening four years. And so the idea is, well, we'd love to have a a new, vibrant uh, generation here. But if Biden's our best shot to get rid of Trump, 
then and he's not going to run for re-election, we can handle that for four years and then get rolling with somebody else. So, uh, Jim, what do you make of it from a tactical standpoint? Well, I guess the first question is, does Biden take a you know outright, clearly stated, spoken pledge to only serve one term? Or is it just the implied? What he already kind of has done by the fact of being a man who will turn 78 one month after Election Day 2020. I mean, how many people you know really think you're going to see Biden running for re-election in 2024? How many people think that Biden, Joe Biden will be president of the United States in the year 2028? I'm assuming by that point in the future, Greg will have flying cars and stuff. And, you know, like three or four Jet Super Bowl wins by then. Um, but anyway, Joe, like, you know, like we all kind of know either he's not going to run or he won't get reelected or he may step down for health issues or God forbid something happens to him. But when you start running at this age, people start, you know, wondering if one of your opponents is the actuarial tables. So that would make the vice presidential selection enormously important. And I, I might have read about this a considerable length in the morning jolt today. I think it probably would be a mistake, um, but I do think at some point Biden's got to give some sort of speech in which he addresses his age. And I, I went back and I found I, one of my favorite speeches of all time was Bob Dole in the 1996 uh, Republican convention. He did not win the election, as everyone remembers, um, but he took it on. And he pointed and one of his arguments was, you know, for those who think this is the best it's ever been, America has been better. I know it because I remember it. I was there and I can be a bridge to that better past and observe, hey, we things don't have to be this way. Now, look, when you're running for president in 1996 and the economy is booming and unemployment is very low, we're just about to get into that tech, you know, dot com boom. Uh, the president just signed welfare reform. I think my, my colleague Ramesh Panuru had pointed out that in 1996, just about every major indicator of American life, every way that you can measure the quality of America, it was getting better in 1996. That was a really tough year running against an incumbent president. Bob Dole did not succeed. But I still like the theme there. I still like that argument of, hey, progress is not always improvement. They are not synonyms. There are times things can get worse and there are times we can turn to the past to find something better. I don't know if that'll work for Biden. I know particularly, you know, Democratic primary voters like to turn towards the future and hope and sunny optimism that America's best days are ahead of them. Yada, yada, yada. I think one way or another, he's going to have to address this issue. I also think, by the way, it would, it would put enormous importance on the running mate. And I'm not sure who that running mate ought to be. Because the idea of, oh, well, then you balance him out with a Kamala Harris type. No, 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 no. Then you undermine the whole argument of Joe Biden being the, the throwback, Joe Biden being the not so woke Kinda, I say, kept emphasizing relatively centrist. If you don't want the the woke or the revolutionaries of Bernie or something like that, you don't want to balance out that ticket. You don't want to put that that option that the primary voters have already rejected a heartbeat away from the presidency in a seventy eight year old man. Sorry, that's just another way it's, it's, it's going to work there. So I went down the list. Like you know, the actually, I'll put it to you. Who's a younger Biden? Tim Kaine. Just kidding. okay. <laughs> Like Tim Kaine is kind of like, like ironic. I, I mentioned uh, Mark Warner, the other senator from Virginia, right? You know, who's again? None of these people are like Crystal. None of these people have expressed interest in the presidency or vice presidency. But you know, uh, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, you know, important state. Bob Casey. You basically want a choice of a, of a Biden running mate who's not going to scare the horses, right? Who's not going to scare suburban soccer moms? Not going to scare the, the business community. You want safe, boring, predictable. It's a return to normalcy, America. They had enough of this circus. Here come the grown-ups. That, you know that kind of thing. But you know what? My, my, I, I threw out as like the crazy pick, and this may end up being one of our end of the year selections soon, Greg. What? What if Biden picked Kirsten Cinema? Oh. All of a sudden, it probably puts Arizona in play. Uh, she's forty-three, although she looks younger. 
Um, she's openly bisexual. In her younger years, she was very much a, a grassroots progressive and all that stuff. But since she's back in the House and as a senator, she's been a blue dog. She's been fairly uh, middle of the road. She's worked with Republicans on some issues. So she might be, you know, that pick that both excites people and also kind of reassures people uh, with the Biden ones. I, I, just, I threw that out there. Not much reaction to it so far today. But uh, I don't know that her own party again, would like that. This is likely to happen, but it's, you know, we're, it, it is a question I think the Biden campaign is going to have to address sooner rather than later. I think that might be looking too far to the moderate wing because she was darn near censured by her own party in Arizona. So I'm not sure the base would love a Kirsten Cinema addition to the ticket. Somewhere between Kirsten Cinema and a full-blown socialist uh, is probably what he's looking at here. But there's a lot of room there. <laughs> Tim Kaine, man. Tim Kaine. Ah. Tim Kaine, the ultimate, you know, the ultimate safe pick. <laughs> Could you imagine if Tim Kaine ended up somehow becoming president, but Hillary Clinton never did? That would be the ultimate kick in the shins for her. To quote his acceptance speech, I never really figured I'd end up here. You're not alone, the first Senator. Words of President Tim Kaine. <laughs> he was just waiting. He's biding his time. Get it? Biden is time. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was bad. All right, uh, Jim, on that note, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. So glad you joined us today for the Three Martini Lunch. And don't forget about the great deal available at Plexiderm. Try Plexiderm.com, 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks. Try Plexiderm.com. And join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.